Welcome to Living Faith United Methodist Church. We are located on 53 Grove Street in Putnam, Connecticut. Our worship service is at 10 a.m. on Sundays. As you listen to this message, we pray that you are blessed and discern how you can serve our God and neighbors. If you want to know more about our church and how you can be part of ministries of mission and outreach, please visit our church website at livingfaithumc.net. Today's gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, 11b to 32. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his eldest son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. 
his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your commands. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who, was who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Wondering why I don't have the the rappel mic that goes to here. Uh, my son Joshua finally did it this past week. <laughs> he, he, it was actually barely hanging. Actually, it has a wire that comes out of the transmitter, and uh, I, kn I knew that it was broken, but it was barely hanging with a scotch tape around it. And uh, he did it this past week, so <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> but uh, we are in the process to fix it, uh, so, but you know what, I, I love him just as he is, right, you know, so I just thinking about the fact that I almost church, uh, burned the church down when I was at his age, so, you know, it's, it's nothing. <laughs> uh, so good to see everyone, especially Annie Hinkley, I uh, haven't seen her like over two years now, right, and uh, she's uh, uh, worshiping with us. Uh, so, uh, so good to see everyone this morning, and let us uh, pray. Let the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, it was one midnight back in 2012. I woke up by the beeping sounds of pager from the police station. I immediately called the dispatcher, and I was told, "Pastor, we need to go to we need you to go to the, uh, the hospital right now." So uh, when I arrived at the hospital in a hurry, I saw Officer Chris, with whom I bonded very much. He loved to took, uh, he loved to take me out for a ride along, and we went out for lunch, and even he introduced his family to me. I got to see his uh, baby. And he saw me with a serious face. Uh, Pastor, it's overdose case. I need to investigate, so I want you to stay with the family and comfort them. I could see the room in the, in the emergency room where the doctors and the nurses are urgently performing CPR, trying to resuscitate the patient. And I saw the couple in the hall, seemingly in their 70s, looking devastated comforting each other. So quietly, I sat across from this couple and gently introduced myself to them and tried to pray with them in their difficult time. And suddenly, a woman who identified herself as the girlfriend of the patient rushed to the ER and she saw what was going on and she pointed her finger at these parents and she started yelling at them and she said, 
You, you are the one who killed your son. You should be ashamed of yourselves. I tried to calm her down and brought her to the corner of the hospital. And after I introduced myself to her, I asked her what was going on and I asked her how long she had been with her boyfriend. And she said, out of frustration and anger, she said, I've been with him a little more than a month. Now I need to move out of the house if he dies. She stormed out of the hospital. And the doctor came to the parents and conveyed a message. We did everything we could, but, but we could not bring him back. Sorry. The father put his arm around his wife, who was quietly sobbing. And the couple thanked me for being there for them and praying with them. And they left the hospital. When we read a story about this prodigal son, which must be one of the very inspiring stories in the Gospel of Luke today, we might wonder how the father was feeling the whole time his youngest son went away. In Jesus' time, it was uncustomary for a child to ask for his father's inheritance while still alive. It's like a sign of disrespect saying, like, I don't care about you, Dad. You are dead to me. All I care about you is my rights to your money. Surprisingly, the father grants his wishes and, and sends him away with a portion of his property. But we do not know how he spent all this money, but the Bible tells us that he squandered all of it in dissolute living. In another translation, it says extravagant living. While his son was gone, how do you think that the father was feeling what he was thinking? Was it resentful that he was blaming himself for the poor discipline of his son while he was a little kid? Or do you think that he was feeling hopeless like this couple I met at the hospital? who were anxiously waiting to hear some good news. You know, when I was reading this uh, story in the Bible this past week, I find it a little interesting that the father did not send his servants to search for his son and bring him back home. I mean, if you were me, trust me, I would travel all the way to that country where my son is in, grab him, and bring him back to his mother's family. But that's not what the father in this story does. <clears throat> he stays in his home with his eyes gaze upon the hill, anxiously waiting days and nights to see if his son will show up and appear on the top of the hill. You know, John Wesley, he believed that we have free will. You know, we talked about the image of God last Sunday. So when he discusses the image of God, he interprets the first dimension of the image of God that God gave us is like a natural image. That means that God created us. Not like a robot, but being, uh, having the free will. Although in our discipline and our theology as a Methodist is that we have no power to do, do good works with our own strength, and our goodwill, 
but God empowers us with the Holy Spirit to use our free will to honor God, love God, and be part of the redeeming work of God in this world. Let me ask you, how many of you, just out of curiosity, asked the Siri, uh, you know, if you have the iPhone, how many of you asked your Siri, Siri, do you love me? I'm just watching if my Siri is responding, but <clears throat> how many of you tried that question with uh, your Siri? And I tried several times just for fun. The answer is always the same. The Siri tells me, I respect you. Or sometimes the Siri says, well, I enjoy spending quality time with you. I mean, just like the girl whom I had a big crush on when I was in college, like, I just love to spend time with you, but that's it. <laughs> and the gospel look illustrates to us what kind of God we serve. The God who desires a relationship. God who yearns love from us, but God who never forces us to love God because such a love would betray what love is supposed to be, invitational and mutual, gentle and patient. As the lost son comes home thinking that he does not deserve the love from his father anymore, but he would rather live as a slave and at least get something to eat on a daily basis. The father sees him on the top of the hill far off, which means that he was always waiting for his return. He, he runs to him on bare feet and hugs him and, and kisses him. And he tells his servants, go bring out a rope, the best one we can find, and put it on him. And uh, bring me the, the ring because I want to put it in his finger and sandals on his feet. Uh, go get and catch a, a fatty calf. We're going to have a big feast today. All these years, I thought that my son was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, and, and now he's found, he says. And the father throws an extravagant banquet, not because of what his son has done, but just because who he is, that he is beloved child of this father who deserves a big banquet with music, food, and drink, and dance, and guests. For many of us, we know this story in our heart, and maybe that's the, the highlight of the story and also the happy ending. And we tend to think that we are the prodigal son, maybe who left God for some reason for many years, but you know, we found our way back home. But the gospel, Luke, is not done with that story. Luke continues to tell us what happens with the, the oldest son. When the older son came home, he heard, he heard all the music and dancing. He called one of the servants and was told what was going on, and he got so upset. He was infuriated, and he refused to go into his house. His father came out to plead with him, so he, uh, he confronted his father. He says, listen, for all these years, I've been working like slave for you, not even son, like a servant, like a slave to you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so I can have a, a party with my family and my friends. But for this son of yours came back after spending all your money with the prostitutes, he says, you killed a fat calf for him. 
You know, do you see that at the beginning of this parable, right? Jesus says the younger son goes away to another country and squanders all his property in dissolute living. But the parable never mentions anything about the prostitutes, but the oldest of your son already judges that's how my brother spent all his money on. Also, he does not even call his brother his brother. He calls him this son of yours. He puts much difference and gap between himself and his brother as if he's not his family. He's not his brother anymore. He's just another son to you, but he has nothing to do with me. That's what he says. A couple of Sundays ago, I shared with you a story about a young man named Tony. Now, many of you already know Tony, as you used to see him at the Daily Bread and Colony Closet and Community Cafe. When I met Tony back in 2016, he was living as homeless with his father. And both of them, they were addicts who often appeared on the local newspaper with their pictures. You know his story, some of you know his story. When Tony was 16 years old, he lost his mother to a car accident. And out of grief and, and loss, I learned that his father was the one who not only became addict, but also he's the one who got his son Tony into drugs. So whenever I found Tony in the town, he was just walking around hungry and, and lost. He had nowhere to go because he was not allowed to enter most of the businesses in this town because of his history of theft. What I did not know until recently was that he was also charged with manslaughter a couple of years ago. The story is that he gave a drug to another person who was overdosed and eventually died. You know, at the time, Tony was only 26 years old and was looking at 20 years in prison. So by the time he gets out of prison, he's going to be 46, even older than me. In addition to losing his father a few years ago, he also lost his grandmother last year, who actually called me to tell me where I could find Tony. So he wrote a letter to me to tell me what was going on. And he tells me, he told me in that letter that he, uh, he's been sober because you know, he's in prison. He also eats on a regular basis, which has led him to gain 65 pounds. He goes to chapel to worship and read the Bible every day. And he asked me to write a letter for him because he said he just could not do the 20 years in prison. And by the time he gets out, again, he'll be 46. So I wrote a letter to the judge. I wrote how Tony always came to our church building not just to receive benefits, but also sometimes to volunteer to help them move the boxes in the daily clothing closet and set up the tables and chairs for the Tuesday in the community kitchen and also on Friday community cafe. Here's an excerpt of what I wrote in my letter. I said, for those of us who have known Tony, he's been like a brother or a son to us. He is our family. I know that Tony needs to be held accountable for his, makes, for his mistakes and make a peace with those whom he has hurt these past years. 
At the same time, considering that he's still a young man with a, a potential for a better future, we hope that Tony could get another chance for proper education and work and family, and hopefully contribute to a society as a responsible citizen. That was my letter. I don't know if my letter worked, but on the day of the trial last week, I read a posting on the Winnie Radio, the Facebook page, that Tony got sentenced four years instead of 20 years. When I read the news, I was pumping the gas um, in my car, my heart was leaping in joy for him. You know, you, these days, your heart doesn't that leap in joy when you pump your gas into your car, but I was so happy at the gas station, but at the same time, I was so sad and brokenhearted to read some comments in the Facebook posting. Many people assume that they don't know Tony personally, but they were saying something like, this legal system is so corrupt and broken. Once an addict, always addict. He should be locked in jail for the rest of his life, never see a light again. Now, the question for us is this. What if Tony is your son? What if Tony is your brother? What if Tony is your grandson and your family? What would you say to that sentence or the situation? And that's exactly the point about this parable in the Gospel Look, It tells us who God is like, that God is a merciful parent who is always ready to embrace his or her child. God is like a parent who is extravagant in his or her forgiveness, compassion, and love. You know, we call the youngest son the prodigal son because he was lost, but now he was found. But the oldest son, who has always been with the father, still does not understand who this father is like. So it's not just the youngest son who is lost, but also the oldest son who is lost in this story. It tells me that just because we are Christians, just because we are good people who faithfully to go to church on Sundays and because we believe that we've always been with God, but it does not mean that we always understand and know who God is. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us that we who consider the good ones are often the last ones when we cannot accept God who hosts unjust feast for the sinners, poor, oppressed, neglected, or marginalized. So after the trial last week, Tony sent me another letter this past week. It was just one page. And he thanked me for writing the letter to the church. And he said, this is the exact wording in his letter. He says, my lawyer read it to the judge. It was so much appreciated. So I'm going to continue to write to you. Will you become something like a sponsor to me? When I get out, 
I'd like to go to your church on Sundays. Thank you so much for being there in the ways you have in the past. Please tell everyone at the community cafe I said hi. And I see Debbie and, and Chris and Doug and everyone who was there to embrace him as a family. Now, some people can think, he's just trying to fool you. He's just trying to uh, you know, just be nice and he's, trying, just, he's lying to get some help. People don't change that easily, we can say. Maybe I know that I myself have a hard time changing myself too. But God is the one who patiently gauges God's eyes on the hill, waiting for the return of God's beloved child, ready to run toward them and hug them and throw the most lavish, extravagant banquet for them. And if we cannot accept such a God who is so abundant in God's love for all God's children, especially during the feast of forgiveness and healing and love for those who are lost, if we call that unjust feast, the Lord is telling us maybe we are the ones who are lost today and need to return to God. 